You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Matthew chapter 12. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles there. If you have the Riverside app, I want to invite you to turn there as well. If you need a paper Bible, there are some in the chairs down there below you. And uh, we're going to begin with some words that Jesus spoke that actually, you know, there are times as I read through the scriptures and I read what Jesus said, sometimes I feel very comforted by what Jesus says. Sometimes I feel very convicted by what Jesus says. Sometimes I feel confused by what Jesus says. Sometimes I freak out by what Jesus says. And I read these verses and this is one of those times. So I want to invite you to stand with me and I want to invite you into one of those freaked out moments as to what Jesus says. And I think what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us today is going to be so helpful for you to be able to live in such a way that you live your life to the glory of God. And whether or not you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you're here kind of investigating and exploring faith or somebody's invited you and they promised you lunch afterwards, we're honored that you're here. And here's the thing, whether or not you've decided to become a follower of Christ, the content of what we're talking about here today and the wisdom that we're going to hear from has an enormous impact, an enormous implication for you throughout the course of your life, regardless of whether or not you're a follower of Jesus. But here's the challenge. If the Spirit of Christ doesn't live within you, and as you come to follow Christ, that's what happens. Jesus lives inside of you by His Holy Spirit. He equips you, enables you, and empowers you to live out what we're going to talk about today. But without that help, this is really difficult. It's a big enough challenge with the Spirit living in us, but it's really pretty much impossible to live out what we're talking about here today without the help of the Holy Spirit to enable us and aid us in being able to do this. So let's look and see what Jesus had to say that day, how it impacts us. Us. We're going to hear from some, from, from, some, uh, from some other first century authors. Paul, we'll hear from him. We'll hear from Peter a little bit later. We're going to hear some great wisdom out of the Proverbs. Uh, the writer of Proverbs, usually Solomon is the guy there. And I want you to see this beginning in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36. Jesus said that day, I promise, I promise you, he's talking to this crowd, I promise you that on the day of judgment, and everybody just goes, there's a day of judgment coming, and there's a whole bunch to that. We're not going to take a ton of time today to unpack all that, but there's this day in the future when we will have to give an account for how we live our lives. And Jesus specifically had something to say about that day of judgment. He says, just the pastors will have to give. No, that's not what it says. Just the ladies will have to give. No, just the guys. No, it's help me out. Who is it? Everyone, that's you and me and the person next to you that you came with, everyone will have to give an account for every, help me out, what's that next word? For every careless word. And then you start to cringe. Every careless word they have spoken. On that day, they will be told that they are either innocent or guilty because of the things they have said. And I read those words and I go, ooh, I'm like what Donnie was referring to at the beginning of our time. That proverb was as much for me as it was for him. I did choose it for him because I knew he'd be up here just messing with him. But I read those words and I think, man, how many times, even this week, have I spoken a careless word? 
In fact, Jesus' brother James became a follower of his brother, of his Lord, later after the resurrection. And he says in his letter to some group of, a group of believers that pastors and leaders and communicators, like teachers up in front who have to study God's word and have to present God's word, they're actually judged more strictly by their words, which causes me even greater tension and angst. And I believe that today as we walk through these next few words, what we're going to find is that Jesus had this to say because it's so connected to the condition of our heart that it's so important that what comes out of here is really not as much the issue as what's going on in here because what's going on in here informs what comes out of here. Jesus says that in another text later on. As we begin this, I want to pray, then you can be seated. Father, I know you have something so special for us today. Holy Spirit, I know you'll do a convicting work, but would you also do a counseling work today? Would you also do a comforting work? Would you also help us, Lord, to navigate through the emotions, through the thoughts, through our desire to want to get away, perhaps even a, a bit of a squirming moment this morning that we'll have, certainly an awareness that we are not perfect in this arena. And Father, for every careless word that we've spoken, we pray that you would help us today to move from being people who may tend to speak careless words and instead speak careful words. We need your help, Jesus, to do that. You are the master at it. So help us with that, I pray. Send your spirit to put something into our hearts and into our minds that we'll be able to walk away with and imply. And as a result, whatever we do, whatever we say, will ultimately bring you glory. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So those words, when Jesus refers to the word careless there, that word has a whole slew of variations that it can be translated. It carries with it the idea of empty words, useless words, barren words, unproductive, worthless, flippant, irresponsible, and poisonous kinds of words. It's words that encompass slander and blasphemy, idle words, immoral words, lustful words, lying words, deceiving words, oppressive words, gossiping words, flattery, foolishness, foolish words, curse words, cruel words, hate words, mean words, dirty words, broken promises, unkept commitments, harsh words, insensitive words, sarcastic words, public words, final words, abusive words, and hopeless words. I think we just about got it all. Let's include racist words in there as well. All of those types of words that are careless kinds of words. And here's what I know about my own life, and here's what I'm guessing is true for all of us here in this room as well, is when you look back over the course of your life, maybe you don't have to look back very far, maybe it's earlier today, maybe it was this week, you look back on your life and you can say, you know what, my biggest regrets center around my words. What I said, who I said it to, the tone and the temperature of my words, or perhaps what I didn't say. I should have said something and I didn't have the courage to speak up. But as you look back over the course of your life and your relationships, you have some regrets over the things that you've said. That's why this is so important for us to wrestle with so that we don't have to live in regret any longer. That we can actually experience what the Bible calls godly sorrow that leads actually to repentance and we can be free 
from that bondage of regret and shame and guilt that comes. So how many of you would just admit, yeah, I've got some regrets over what I've said over the past? Anybody? Good. The rest of you, you're lying, and that's a lying word. So there you go. So we have these regrets. We have these difficulties when it comes to our words. And I love the, what the Proverbs say in chapter 17 and verse 27, which is so true. I, I got this as a young kid. I remember memorizing this. It was a different translation that I memorized it in, but I love how it says it in the New Living. A truly wise person, when you think about all those regrets, a truly wise person uses how many words? Few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent, or even fools are thought wise when they keep their mouth shut, is how I memorized it. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. No word is insignificant because Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, said that every word that's spoken reveals ultimately what's deep down in our hearts. Words are the, will be a basis for judgment. The words we say now reflect our fate then someday. So the big question for today is, as we wrestle through this, is how do we foster a life and a legacy of using careful words? Because here's the thing. The students that are in this room, they'll learn careful words or careless words from us as parents and grandparents. Those children that are over there and in the nursery and the preschool and elementary, they're going to learn to use careless words from us or they're going to learn to use careful words. And whether you're a grandparent or a parent or an aunt or an uncle, no matter where you find yourself, you have influence over the next generation that's coming up. And you want to be able to say, I have left a legacy of careful words. As followers of Jesus, that's what we're called to. And the thing is, is that our lives and our relationships will actually never rise above the level of our mouths. Our lives and our relationships will never rise above the level of our mouths. In fact, Jesus said that our words are seed-bearing entities. In other words, he says that every time we speak, we're planting words into the souls of others. And we either plant good seeds that result in a great harvest, healthy relationships, healthy friendships, great marriages, great workplaces, wonderful relationships within the church, outside the church, with people who follow Christ, with those who don't. But our words can also bear bad fruit. They can also plant seeds into people's hearts, into their lives, that results in destruction, that results in death. As Donnie said earlier from that proverb, words can be life or words can be death. And so we have to pay attention to what comes out of us. And as followers of Jesus, our challenge is to use all our words for his good every day. And I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit was sent to help us to do this. Because as the Holy Spirit gets access to us, as he transforms us, as he shapes us and forms us and molds us into the character and the nature and the image of Christ, our words can can become increasingly wholesome, fitting, kind, sensitive, loving, purposeful, edifying, and ultimately truthful. And I want to invite you to perhaps join me in praying David's prayer written thousands of years ago when he wrote in Psalm 141, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. A great prayer to pray. Keep watch over the door of my lips. In fact, would you join me in just reading that and maybe making that personalized for yourself today, a prayer? Let's do it together. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. 
Keep watch over the door of my lips. One more time. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Imagine the relationships we could have. Imagine the health. Imagine the lack of regret we would have if the truth of that verse, if the prayer that we just uttered were to come true, that we would truly have a guard over our mouths. I want to give you today, very quickly, for the next few minutes, four skills for fostering a life and a legacy of using careful words. Four skills that aren't going to be rocket science, but you need to be reminded, I need to be reminded, because we tend to get lethargic when it comes to our communication. We, team, we tend to take people for granted and others for granted, and the good skills that we use when we're first meeting someone and we're first interacting and we're paying attention and we're doing all the things that you do when you have good communication, those tend to drift the more familiar we get with people. And the very people that you're here with today, that you're seated next to, they desperately need you to get this right so that they can have a healthy life. And you need to get it right for yourself so that you can have a God-honoring, healthy life. So four skills to try to leave this legacy of being a person who speaks careful words. First and foremost, careful words follow focused listening. What did I just say? You were either listening or it's behind me on the screen and you can all see it, right? It always follows focused listening. In other words, intentional, meaningful effort must be our goal to pay attention so that we're not trying to think of the next thing to say. We're not cutting people off. We're actually learning to listen. Now, some of us, and I'm so envious of those of you who just naturally are hardwired to be great listeners. You just, you always are going to listen before you start talking. You're going to put into practice what we've already, uh, what we're going to be talking about here. You've already got this one down. But for the majority of us, we tend to think faster. We tend to speak faster than we should. And we often interrupt. We talk over and the volume gets louder and louder and louder. And instead of listening, we're speaking. But I would submit to you that active listening is just as important or more important than speaking in good careful word communication. Listen to what the writer of Proverbs said. It's stupid and embarrassing to give it an answer before you listen. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, don't shoot off your mouth or speak before you think. God's in charge, not you. The less you speak, the better. And then the brother of Jesus also said in James chapter 1, he said, Under this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You have to learn to be good listeners. You've got to be attentive, and you've got to be intentional. So help, to help you remember this, I want to invite Donnie to join me here on the platform. Today is his birthday, and his wife, Shelly... His wife, Shelly, wanted me to give him a gift today to try to help remember this. Before he does this, just note that David is a practical gift giver and that I already did the part of the service he needed me to do. <laughs> All right, here we go. To help you to learn to listen, 
I just had a tiny piece last service, but I learned from that. I got bigger. <laughs> so Shelly, here we go. He's going to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, okay? I can still talk. <laughs> Give it up for the birthday boy. All right. So when it comes to my birthday, that'll be on me, okay? So if you need to take a piece of this, it'll be down here around the front. If you need to grab a piece on your way out to remind yourself to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and focus your listening. Don't, un don't assume that you understand when you're in a communication moment with someone, and don't assume that you understand. Don't assume that you're understood or that you understand. Talk about it. Actively listen. It begins after you've focused your listening. And you have to focus it, and most of us have to learn it because it doesn't come innately to us. We tend to talk more than we listen. Number two, careful words are communicated clearly. There's a clarity about careful words. Ambiguity is the basis. Think about this in your own life. Ambiguity is the basis for so much relational turmoil and relational tension that you've had, as well as professional failure that you've experienced. When you're in a meeting and something's not clear and you walk out and you realize, wait, I'm not actually sure if I'm doing that or if she's doing that. I don't know who's doing it. It was so amb ambiguous. We weren't clear on it. And then somebody ends up getting yelled at. Somebody ends up getting in trouble because there's a lack of clarity. It works that way in the business sector. It works that way in the marketplace. It works that way in the classrooms. It works that way in a marriage, in a home, with your kids and your parents. We need to get clarification. Avoid mind reading. Others in your life want to succeed, but they don't honestly always know how. The people in your life, don't check out, don't miss this. The people in your life need specificity. The kids and your spouse and your parents and your coworkers and your friends, they need you to be specific. They desperately want to know how to be able to have a great relationship with you, but they cannot read your mind. You have to be clear, you have to be specific, and you have to keep working at it. This does not get easier over time. It gets more difficult because again, you assume that you are understood. You assume that you understand. Seek to be clear, work at it, to make the effort to keep at it and then be able to be able to have a healthy relationship because you've been clear. You cannot hold others. I see this all the time in marriages and friendships and relationships. You can't hold others responsible for your hurts, your thoughts, your desires. Don't hold others accountable, emotionally hostage for the things they cannot know. You're not a mind reader and those around you are not mind readers. They desperately need you to be clear and be specific. And while I'm on the subject matter of this, can I just harp for a minute? I'm going to do it whether or not you give me permission or not. But when we have these kinds of difficult conversations, could we not text? Could we not email? Could we not put stuff on social media? I'd love an amen right about now. It's just rampant today that we'll say things that are hurtful and painful and careless words, ambiguous words. There's a lack of clarity when you do that kind of stuff because you can't read the body language. You can't hear the tone. You might see the emoji, but what if they put the wrong emoji? 
and you're now all of a sudden communicating something you didn't mean to communicate, or you sent the text to the wrong person, and now they're totally lost. They're totally confused. I'm all for texting, and I'm all for email, but I want to say it when you are, have something that's difficult to say, do it in person. Don't do it over those other various mediums. You just will end up using careless words, and you'll end up being in careless situations. We have the ability to actually speak one another to one another face-to-face and use careful words to do it. Next, number three, careful words arrive at the right time. It's all about timing when it comes to good, faithful, awesome, careful communication. How many of you are morning people? Let me see your hands. I've done this before with you before, but just keep your hands up. Okay, all of you guys, you're ready to have the conversation of really in-depth, intense, you know, purpose of life, meaning of life, defining the relationship, whatever it might be, and you can do it at six, seven, eight in the morning. How many of you would be completely lost at six, seven, or eight in the morning because you're a night person or a later on in the day person? Yes. See, God puts people together like that. I'm the morning person. I want to look at Amy and say, let's talk about the meaning of life at 6 a.m. We're not having that conversation at 6 a.m. If we try to have that conversation at eight at night, I'm sound asleep. So you got to find the right timing. And here's the thing. When you're first walking in the door and someone is there already at the house and you've already been thinking about it for maybe hours and hours and hours and your spouse or your kid or your parents walk in and all of a sudden you just, they, they, they walked in, they've not even had 10 seconds to put their stuff down and you're already dumping all over them. Not the right time. It's all about timing. Listen to what the writers of the Proverbs say. How fitting Excuse me, everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It's a wonderful thing to say the right thing. Help me out at the right time. Then notice 2511, the right word at the right time is like precious gold set in silver. Pay attention to the timing. If a person's watching, this is so simple, but I just got to remind you this because again, we get lazy in these communication patterns. If someone's sitting there and they're in the fourth quarter the last two minutes of the football game, that is not the time to come in and talk about the family budget. Not a wise time. Or if you're at the end, the climax of a movie and it's a cliffhanger and you want to come in and say, hey, let's, let's talk about the kids and where they're going to go to college 15 years from now. <laughs> not the time to do that. You pay attention. Now, here's what you do. When you're first getting to know someone or you're just, you're, maybe you're calling them and they're at work, you, you use a question we need to learn to continue to implement, no matter how long we've been in relationships with others, is now a good time to talk. I need to talk to you. Is now a good time? And then that empowers that other person to be able to say, yep, this is perfect. Or, you know, actually, no, give me an hour and then I'm all yours. I'll be able to fully focus. Or you're at the beginning of a day, hey, I'd really need to talk to you at some point today. If you have any time at all, I just need some things that I need to share and we need to talk about. Would you, could we set aside some time to do that? And you would do that if you were going to go meet with your doctor or your dentist or your attorney or a teacher or something like that. You would take time and you would do that. But with each other, we just bulldoze our way in. It's a lot like this. And I, I first saw this from my dad when I was growing up. It's probably my favorite illustration that my dad used to use when, when he was preaching, especially about words. He talked all about the idea that words uh, and, and our mouths are a lot like toothpaste. And, you know, when, when something's about to come out, you see it start to come out, you can go, oh, nope, 
I'm actually not going to say that. You can actually control that. But what happens when we don't have the right timing is that a lot of times it looks like this. So I'm coming in and and Ryan and I are just getting ready. We've not talked for a while, but I'm just going to come in and I'm just going to dump all over him. It looks a lot like this. You're lucky I trust you. (laughs) He said, you're lucky I trust you. (laughs) It looks a lot like that. It looks a lot like I smear that all over him and nobody wants that, right? And then have you done this before? You just went all vomited on somebody uh, verbally and then all of a sudden you realize that I'm too far in front of the speakers. You realize, oh, I wish that I could put all that back. Anybody ever had that moment? Anybody ever had that experience where you say, oh, I wish I'd have kept my mouth shut. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps his mouth shut. Now, you can have this same conversation and have it be awesome if the timing is right. Two different outcomes, all about timing. Some of us, we really need to work on this idea of picking the right time. Number four, so let me review. Careful words. They follow after we've listened, this focused listening. There is a clear communication. There is a timing that's right. And then last but not least, careful words affirm. Careful words affirm. And there is a verse in in Ephesians chapter 4. It's written by Paul to the church in Ephesus that I think if I had to take one verse to summarize the entire idea of the best communication out of Scripture, this would be the verse. If I had to summarize in one verse all that God might have to say to us, this would be the verse that I would pick. So much depth, so much truth for us. Let's look at what Paul counseled those who are in the first century and see how clearly the scriptures speak to us today, 2,000 years later. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I'm going to unpack those thoughts for you today as we think about words that affirm Paul mentions, first of all, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk. When he uses that word unwholesome talk, that word literally means tearing down words, words that tear down. It's the idea that you're carrying around a set of scissors and you're going to interact with somebody And as you're interacting with them, what you say verbally, there's literally a tearing away, there's a cutting away, there is less of them left than when they were there before. So it's like, okay, you're just the illustration guy today. Sorry, man. No one's sitting in the front row ever again. So it's like I'm coming up to Ryan and I'm just going to have this verbal assault on Ryan. I'm just going to take these scissors and I'm just going to cut, 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 cut. And I'm not actually going to do that. But that's what we do to people all the time. We'll use these unwholesome words, this idea that there's less of them left. There's a cutting and there's a tearing away by the kind of words that we use so that when that person has received that communication from you, it's belittling, it's negative, it's destructive, it's hurtful, it's public words, it's sarcastic words, it's final words. In other words, I want a divorce. That's the kind of final words. This is over, there's no hope. So the unwholesome talk that cuts and there's less of a person left. Anybody ever been the recipient of unwholesome talk before? There's like literally you feel like, oh, I had a coach in high school. 
It seemed like every week he made it his goal to leave less of me there than there was before. He would just rip me up from one side down the other. I just learned to just go the other direction. I literally, in high school, I can remember him just cussing me out one side and down the other and telling me everything I had ever done wrong in life, and there was a terrible this and a terrible that, and just, just a verbal assault, unwholesome talk. And I'd literally be walking away, and under my breath, I'd say, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, coach. And it never worked, but I was just praying, God, help me not to have the response back to him that I wanted to be able to give him, which is such a temptation that we have. But this idea of unwholesome talk, it's about less of them left after we've communicated with them. He says also next, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. In other words, you can't control what somebody else is going to say, but you can control yourself. You can keep your mouth closed when you have bad thoughts and when you have nothing to say. You cannot control everyone else, but you can control your own mouth. Then he mentions words that build up, words that are helpful for building others up. It's not enough just to have the absence of negativity. Negativity is the devil's language. We've got to be intentional about building one another up. In fact, what do you think is the number one predictor? When I'm in premarital counseling and I'm sitting with a couple, the number one predictor of divorce, and statistically across the country, the number one predictor of divorce is criticism. And if there's just a constant barrage of criticism, it tears people down. It rips them apart, and there's less of them left than there was before. Words that build up. You've got to be intentional. Nagging is never good. It's never helpful. Honoring words are a discipline, and you and I can change this about ourselves. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Thessalonica. Speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll all be together in this. No one left out. No one left behind. Again, you may say, hey, you know, we don't have negative words in our home, but maybe you're not intentional about the positive words. When you have the good thoughts, when you have the, hey, out of boys, way to goes, proud of you, you can't just have the absence of negativity. You've got to have the presence of positive words, of words that build up, words that encourage. Listen to this. Totally unasked for this morning, I'm, on, I'm getting up, I'm getting ready, and I'm praying, I'm getting ready for service this morning. One of our Riversiders, his name's Jeremy, he just out of the blue texts me. Now again, he, didn't, he could have had these thoughts on his own, but he chose to speak the words to me. He actually texted them to me because he was, it was so early in the morning. But he says, good morning, happy Sunday, praying and thinking about you, your family, and our church this morning as I was driving around the mall on my way to work. He, he was working this morning. He says, love you, brother. Hope to see you soon, Jeremy. How do you think that hit me this morning? You think that built me up? You think that encouraged me? Yeah, it absolutely did. And he could have just had those thoughts. But you see, you got to be intentional about speaking the words that build others up. And then he says, according to the need. And there's where you got to pay attention. If you don't know the need, if you don't know what the other person needs, Ask them, what do you need to hear from me right now? In this season of discouragement, in this season of disappointment, in this season of loss, in this uncertain time, what do you need to hear from me? If you don't know, ask. And note that sometimes, not always, but sometimes, what people need most from us, when it says according to the need, sometimes what people need most from us 
is for us to speak the truth and do it in love. And sometimes it's a difficult word. In fact, when I say speak words that are affirming, when care for words are affirming, I'm not just talking about words that are approving. Don't, don't confuse affirming words with approving words because you can still speak affirming words and also deal with what is not, beha- what is not behavior, what is not God-honoring, what is not the right way to handle a family situation or a work situation. You can still use affirming words without speaking approval because they're not the same thing. Are we clear on that? Sometimes what people need, not always what they want, but sometimes what they need is for us to speak a difficult word but we do it in love. And then last but not least, all of this, he says, when we do this right, that it may benefit those who listen. The idea is that when we have careful words in the back of our minds at all times, it actually adds value. It's beneficial to others. This is where grace and where the glory of God is really coming into relationships, where the glory really starts to be able to be seen. It's where it really enters into the picture. So as you hear those things, as you think about those things, what is the first step for you to take to use careful words, ultimately, so they'll be for God's glory? Celebrate the strong areas that you've heard today. Some of you may be feeling, man, I'm really good at that area. Acknowledge the weaknesses that you have in your communication skills. Tackle those areas that need improvement. Confess to those that you need to confess to. Maybe you start with God, but then there's somebody else that you need to confess to. You need to repent of words that you've spoken that are careless words, gossiping words, backbiting words. You need to seek forgiveness. That's what all in followers of Jesus do. As we wrap this up, I invite the worship team to come, and we're going to conclude with prayer and conclude with communion. But I want you to hear wisdom from the guy who I've told you before has a foot-shaped mouth. His name was Peter, and he was one of Jesus' closest friends, and he actually became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Listen to what he said, a guy who constantly got himself in trouble with his words. He says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a, help me out, with a what? with a blessing. That's what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. Jesus was always intentional about his words. And I'm grateful that Jesus didn't just say what he said in Matthew 12, that there'll be a day of judgment and we're going to have to deal and give an account for everything that we've said. I'm glad he didn't leave it at that. I'm glad that he was intentional with his words all the way to the cross. And when he was suspended between heaven and earth, Jesus intentionally used his words to say, to pull himself up on the nails, to catch a breath, to just be able to utter loudly, to telestai, it is finished. You don't have to live under the weight and the guilt the shame of all the careless words that you've spoken because of what we're about to experience right now with communion. We can walk in freedom. We can live in such a way that whatever we do with our words, it brings glory to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word, for what it offers us today. Please forgive us for the careless words that we've spoken that have hurt you that have hurt others.
Father, we commit to using our words to build each other up and encourage one another daily. Holy Spirit, would you teach us the art of being better listeners? Grant us the grit to pursue clarity in our conversations. Show us the best moments to talk with others when the timing will yield the most healthy interactions with them. Help us to want to value others and grant us the strength to follow through in honoring one another. Father, we'll seek to be intentional and generous in our encouragement and our, in our blessing of others. We invite you to use our mouths for doing good and for your glory. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.